You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. We were talking about the Rams and uh, what decisions they have in the offseason. I didn't mention that Kevin O'Connell is going to take the Vikings job. He's the offensive coordinator. Uh, Andrew Whitworth is going to retire, from what I'm told. The uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year, he's 40 years of age. Aaron Donald did not shoot down the rumors that he's thinking about retiring. Odell Beckham is hurt. He's a free agent. Von Miller is also a free agent. It's not easy to get back to the Super Bowl. It's not easy to get to the Super Bowl. And I don't want to be on record as saying the Bengals won't get back to a Super Bowl because that's where people look silly with their hot takes. I think just looking at it and putting it in perspective, it'll be difficult for them to get back. Very difficult. Even though you do have some building blocks and nucleus there, I think, you know, when you, we felt like, hey, Dan Marino is going to get back. A lot of these guys think they're going to get back. Russell Wilson probably still thinks he's going to get back. Aaron Rodgers going to get back. It's just there's so much luck that goes into this, and I think you saw that with the Bengals. They were just good enough when they needed to be. And it says a lot about them because there are times where I didn't think they were that good at football team. Let's bring in Ross Tucker, our good buddy, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He works for CBS and Westwood One, the former offensive lineman. Uh, boy, could you imagine having the uh, task of trying to stop Aaron Donald there in the final five, seven, ten minutes of that game there, Ross? Oh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> there's, there's a guy that went in the Hall of Fame over the weekend, Bryant Young, who was not Aaron Donald, but was a similar type of player. And I've actually talked to guys about the best way to try to block Aaron Donald. Some guys, Dan, will try to just jump him and grab him right there. But he's so good with his hands that you can look real bad. So people I've talked to said, oh, the best move is to just set back a little bit, give a little bit of ground. Well, he was bull rushing the crap out of those guys last night. I'm not sure there is a really good answer. When they were double teaming him and sliding to him, that helped. It is funny, though, because I don't know if you've ever done this with him on your show. I know you have the guys read their draft profiles, but it's so funny because he didn't go top 10 because people were worried about how short he was. It's just It just seems so funny now. By the way, like, who cares how tall you are for a defensive tackle? Who uh, who would you have given the MVP to? Co-MVPs, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. No, nah, you can't do that. you got to give it to somebody, one person. Oh, okay. Um, well, there has been a year, though, where there was co-MVPs. Um, if you have to give it to somebody, I don't have a problem with Cooper Cup. It, it would not have been Stafford, I don't think. No. I think it would have been Cup or Donald. Uh, you know, the thing that people are forgetting – is after Stafford threw the interception on the Rams' first offensive play, Aaron Donald had two sacks. You know, the Bengals had just gotten the bomb, the T. Higgins. They're up 17-13. Then they get the interception by Awuzier. Donald chases Joe Burrow out of bounds. And then third down, Higgins is open. Donald bull rushes Adenogy and gets a sack. Those That was huge. If the Bengals score a touchdown there – I think the game is very, very different. And then he closed it out at the end as well. I think you can make a strong argument for Aaron Donald, but I'm fine with Cooper Cup too. He took over that last drive, even when it seemed like he was the only legit weapon the Rams could really go to. How could the Bengals have won this? 
Well, several different ways. First of all, it, it's kind of crazy to me, Dan, that they ran the ball so much better than the Rams did and lost. Real, you know, if you would have told me the Bengals would run it that much better than the Rams and lose the game, I would have been surprised. I have to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed in Joe Burrow in the second half of the game. And I know the way it is, right? You have a young quarterback. He's very good. There's going to be 5,000 Bengals fans are going to jump all over me because they don't like if you say anything bad at all. Dan, he just takes sacks that you cannot take. He puts his team in a situation where they have very little chance to get a first down on that series of downs. He missed a critical throw to Jamar Chase when Chase was wide open on a third down. That would have been a first down, would have kept the drive alive. So I, I really thought that Burrow was fine. Burrow had a good game, but for the Bengals to win that game, they needed him to be better in the second half. They need him to be clutch, and he kind of cowered a little bit to the pressure. You know, he took some sacks where he saw the guy coming. Throw the ball away. Try to give one of your receivers a chance. You just can't keep taking sacks like he did. How do you explain the Rams' defense being so dominating in the second half or certainly in that fourth, fourth quarter? Well, I think one thing they did was they did a better job of having five guys up so that the offensive line couldn't automatically slide to Aaron Donald. I'm a little surprised that the Rams didn't do that in the first half. You know, it's simple math, right? You got four D linemen rushing, five offensive linemen. You can send the center to help out on whoever's blocking Aaron Donald the whole time. When they would walk the linebackers up, like Reader or Ernest Jones or even guys off the edge, well, then those five big guys, they get to block the five guys they think are coming. They were able to get a lot more one-on-ones for guys than they had in the first half, and they clearly took advantage. What did you make of the uh, officiating last night? Okay. Okay. Um, I, I was disappointed, really disappointed, in the holding penalty against Logan Wilson on third down, about a minute and a half left. I thought it was perfect coverage on Cooper Cup. I'm of the belief, Dan, when in doubt, don't throw the flag. They had let the guys play all game. All game they had let them play. And then it wasn't even ticky-tack. To me, there was no foul there at all. I thought it was an excellent play by Logan Wilson. I thought it was the worst call of the game. However... The first play of the second half, T. Higgins clearly tugged Jalen Ramsey's face mask, which is how he got open and scored. So if you want to say that those two calls kind of offset each other, I can live with that. But I would always rather have the no call than throwing the flag for a foul that's not there. In general, though, I don't think it's the reason why the Rams won the game. I don't think it should be the main topic of conversation today. And as long as that's the case, I'll say they did an okay job. More likely to get back to the Super Bowl next year. Rams-Bengals. I think they both have a really tough task of doing that, but I'll go with the Rams. You know, the, the, the two favorites to win the Super Bowl next year, Dan, are the Chiefs and the Bills. You know, in the AFC, that's going to be rough for the Bengals. I mean, rough. They got a good young team, but I heard you talking about it before you brought me on. You know, it is not as easy to get back as these teams think it is. It is very, very hard. 
I think Kansas City and Buffalo, they're both going to think that they're going to do be due to get back. I think it's going to be tough for the Bengals to get back to the Super Bowl next year. I'm not they might be able to get back there again. Next year would be tough. The NFC is just much more open and the Rams seem much more open to doing whatever it takes to try to get this going while they have this window. So maybe Aaron Dial needs some more money. That's fine. I think they'll try to find a way to bring Vaughn back. Uh, we'll see with Odell after that injury now. But the Rams are very much a win now. This is our window. And I think it's not just because of the players on their team. I think it's the dynamic of them being in Los Angeles, trying to capture the hearts and minds of the fans out there while they have this new stadium. There's multiple reasons why I think the Rams are in win-now mode. I think they'll be very good again next year. What do you do if you're the Bengals in the offseason? Well, it's going to be heavy offensive line. I think we know that. Um, I think they're good at skill. They're in a good spot, Dan, where they they can't even pay Burrow yet. They can't even pay Jamar Chase yet. A lot of times these guys, you'd be like, oh, man, are the Bengals going to sign this guy or is he going to go somewhere else? They got no place else to go. So they're in a really good spot. I think they'll probably add one veteran free agent on the offensive line. They'll probably draft an offensive lineman as well. Uh, probably still go in the secondary. I'm not sure they, they love Eli Apple being a – but this is a pretty good team. They're not far away. They're going to be in the mix. I, I just don't think they'll end up beating the Chiefs and the Bills again, but they're going to get the offensive line better. They're going to be in the mix. Let me go back to uh, you talking about Aaron Donald maybe getting a new contract or wanting more money. Do you think that's the ploy of him saying to Rodney Harrison that, you know, I may walk away if I win a Super Bowl? I don't think that's why he's saying it. I think it's something he's legitimately considered. And I got to tell you, this does not bother me, right? You know, he's a smart guy. He's done everything he could really do as a player. Most people think he's one of the best defensive players ever. He's already made a ton of money. You know, Dan, with CTE and with everyone knowing the long-term ramifications of playing especially defensive tackle, the amount of double teams he takes, the amount of shots he takes. If he says, you know what? I had an awesome eight years. I'm going to go live the rest of my life, be able to be with my family healthy. My shoulders and knees are okay. My brain, I think, like, I don't need to do this anymore. I think that would be wonderful. I'd be happy for him. But it seems like when these guys are away from it for a couple months, and then they start to think, okay, what would I do next? And it's not going to be the $14.5 million the Rams are supposed to pay him. And like I said, if that's what it takes, the Rams, I think, will sweeten the pile of it. Be like, Aaron, how about how's $20 million sound? I think that's hard to turn down. You know, you realize I want to live 60 more years, over $20 million. I think he'll end up playing. I'd be surprised if he retires, but I wouldn't be surprised – if he gets a little contract sweetener to do so. Great to talk to you, buddy. Thanks. And uh, we hope to continue to talk to you in the off season. My pleasure, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on so much this year. It's been fun. That's Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker football podcast. And uh, also even money podcast. You can find him on social media at Ross Tucker NFL. Here is Aaron Donald's draft profile. Marginal height and frame is nearly maxed out. 
hands are more active than strong, could play with more pop and power. Overpowered in the run game and ground (laughs) up by double teams. Gets snared and controlled by bigger, longer blockers. Not a two-gap player. Has some uh, tweener traits. Lacks ideal length and bend to play outside. Now, those are just the negatives. There are a lot of positives with him. But, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that you just keep with you. You know, we, we've seen this before when J.J. Watt came in and he read his draft profile or Drew Brees read his or Aaron Rodgers read his. And this is one of those things that probably still stays with Aaron Donald and motivates him because of all the things that he didn't do. But there's so many things that he does well. But that's his draft profile. And does he get a new contract? You know, I wondered about this with T.J. Watt. I thought T.J. Watt might be the first $30 million a year defensive player. And he came close to it. Aaron Donald is the most valuable defensive player, the best defensive player. Now, T.J. Watt was the defensive player of the year. have no problem with that. But if you're saying who's the best defensive player in the game, Aaron Donald. But he's nowhere near the highest paid. And I don't know if that is factoring into this, but he's still got a few good years left, you would think. He's already going to the Hall of Fame. I like, though, there was a moment last night where he's pointing to his ring finger, <laughs> and then a player for the Bengals would come over, and he would stop that. And like, he was you know, doing this for the camera. Like, yeah, look at this. Like, yeah, good game, good game. Yeah, 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 good game, good game, good game. Yes, he. He's like pointing to his finger, like that's right. We run this. We run. Yo, respect, man. Respect, respect. That's right. That's what respect, man. Yeah, good game. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine to noon Eastern or six to nine Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. And we'll talk to uh, a recently minted Hall of Famer, Tony Baselli, the Jags offensive lineman, got into the Hall of Fame. And uh, he'll join us. Update the poll results there, Seton. And are we changing the poll question in hour two? We are changing the poll okay. question in hour two. Hour one was last night, Aaron Donald's last game. Hmm. 73% say he'll be back next year. Okay. What's the new poll question? Well, we got a couple of options for you. And one of them you brought up, actually, to Russ Tucker. More likely to get back to the Super Bowl next year, Rams or Bengals. Okay. It's fun. Um, Paul's got a fun one that he's been kicking around. All right. What do you have, Paul? Who had the best night? Uh, The Rams' Van Jefferson. He won a Super Bowl, and his second kid was born postgame. He got to get there in time for it. How about Rams' safety Taylor Rapp? He got a Super Bowl and got engaged on the field postgame. I got one more. Eric Weddle was on his couch two months ago playing with his children. <laughs> he won a Super Bowl last night. He had a huge play on the last Bengals drive. He also tore his pectoral muscle from the bone in the first half and played in the second half. That's some legacy stuff there. Now, is the torn peck a positive or a negative? In the it system? is. Tough guy positive. It's oh, a tough guy okay. positive. I don't know. You could tell. He's retired. He doesn't need a peck. You're right. <laughs> He's got another one, I'm sure. You get two, I think. All right, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. If you listen to this show, you know that I have mentioned occasionally that I try to get people into a Hall of Fame. 
you know, John Facenda, I reached out to the Hall of Fame and I said the voice of the NFL should be in the Hall of Fame, and he got in. Now, I've lobbied for other players to get into the Hall of Fame, and I'd never met Tony Baselli years ago. I'd never met him, but I did watch him, and I, you know, it's one of those where you say, who's a Hall of Famer? When you watch somebody, you go, I think he's a Hall of Famer. He was all-pro lineman, uh, you know, back in the 1995 draft, and you know, linemen sort of get forgotten because we only bring their name up if they do something like holding or they, you know, give up a sack. And I just saw Tony and, and said the Jags have one of the better offensive linemen that I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot because I've been around the game for, you know, what, 40 years now. And I, I didn't even know that when the announcement happened, but I got all these people who sent me text and said, your boy got in the Hall of Fame. And I go, who's my boy? And then I realized that, Tony got into the Hall of Fame, and uh, we've brought it up uh, numerous times. Usually, you know, on this day or the day, you know, days after, you don't get into the Hall of Fame, and Tony got into the Hall of Fame. So I was very, very happy, and I said to Fritzy, see if Tony can join us. And uh, Tony, congrats. We did it. Well, damn, we did. I'm glad I'm your boy, too. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, but it, that made me laugh this morning. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – this is much better than the last, I think, uh, this is my six years. So the last five years before where I'm mourning with you about not making the <laughs> Hall of Fame. So it's, uh, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this Super Bowl weekend as, uh, as much as any weekend I ever have. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Walk us through how you find out you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know, because of COVID, the last two, you know, in that past, they used to vote on Saturday before the, the Super Bowl, and then you'd find out Saturday night at the Honor Show. Um the last few years, because of the pandemic, they voted virtually. This year, they did it on the 18th. And I had no idea when I'd find out. And the, my wife found out on the 19th. The Hall of Fame called her and said, hey, your, your husband's made the Hall of Fame. And she didn't tell me because what? they wanted to set up this. Oh, did not tell me. She, they wanted to set up this big surprise knock. And so on the 27th, you know, I'm sitting around waiting. I'm, I haven't heard anything. Nobody's talking. And uh, I'm at a buddy's house, one of my good friends, uh, and we're they're talking. They set up this whole ruse to get me there, first of all. And then there's a knock on the door. And he goes, hey, can you go get that for me? Uh, I got to do something. And I said, sure, I'll go get it. So I walk downstairs. I open up the door. And there's Anthony Munoz in his gold jacket with NFL Network and Hall of Fame and all my family behind them. And, you know, he gives puts his hand out, shakes my hand, gives me a big hug. And he says, welcome uh, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, that I mean, it was just – it was magical. Um, but then I, I couldn't say anything for two weeks. Like we were sworn to silence. <sighs> and so like, there's a moment. It's like, you forget, I don't say you forget about it, but I'm like, can they call me and like, take this back? I mean, it's not, <laughs> nothing's out there. Officially yet. So the big, the big moment was walking, uh, on the honors where they called me out. Uh, Bruce Smith was the one who introduced me, which is pretty uh, fitting based on seeing that the game against him was kind of my coming out party. Um, that's when it was like, okay. They're never taking this away now. What kind of emotions? Um, oh, I think the, the like the prevailing emotion is gratitude more than anything. Like it's so it's so humbling because now I, I mean I'm a huge I've been a football fan since I can remember. So a lot of the guys that are in Hall of Fame, those are the guys I looked up to. I like you watched and I wanted to be like, and I never imagined that my name would be next to theirs or I'd have a bus next to theirs. Um, and so it's really humbling, but it's just the gratitude I feel for all the people that helped me get here. 
because you know football number one is the greatest team sport ever and and i played the greatest team position uh there's no great i mean you were dependent on the guys next to you as an offensive lineman and so and i have great coaches and mentors and um and so i just really thankful for that you know i always say a couple things i didn't make myself six seven you know that was the gift of god who said i'm going to make you big and give you good feet and then I'm thankful that God put great people in my path because I just don't think any of us get where we go by ourselves. And uh, I had some really great people. And, uh, and then the, the one, like, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing, but there was a sad moment. My dad was, my dad passed away in 2021. And uh, I knew last year when they called me and said, I didn't make it, there was a good chance he wouldn't be around mm. uh, because he had cancer when I got in. And so missing him being there and him experiencing it. Cause I don't think there was a bigger fan of mine than my dad and uh, just what he meant in my life. So I missed him, but I know he was up in heaven smiling, probably doing high fives and uh, enjoying himself. We're talking to Tony Baselli, the uh, former J- Jacksonville Jaguar tackle and first player drafted by the Jags. Is that, is that right? You were the first player. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yep. Um, how would uh, Tony Baselli in his prime have done against Aaron Donald? What would you have done last night against him? Yeah, after I would pray a lot before I went out there. <laughs> <laughs> because Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald reminds me of uh, you know, he uh, with his the, the way he plays and his size. You know, he he gives a big guy like me problems in one sense because he's he's just he has instant leverage. And it reminds me of John Randall a little bit. His ability to get on top and overpower, but also the quickness. And so, I, and I've watched Aaron Donald a lot, and he's one of the top defensive players ever to play this game. If he never plays another snap, just like he's like one of those guys like Brady and some others, just like wave the five years, just put him in the dang Hall of Fame. I mean, that's where they belong. Um, but I, I watched him, I've watched him a bunch. And I would, one thing I would do is I'd, I'd force Aaron Donald to run over me. Because if you because he's so quick, and I think what you want to do is make sure you don't get beat right away. Like you want to make it as long, give your quarterback as much time, and make him go through you. Uh, because it, like even the play at the end of the game, he got up got up field on the shoulder of uh, uh, Spleen and, and got around the corner. There's no chance. You got to force him to go around. It's easier said than done. So I just said off him and just said, hey, all right, Aaron, if you're gonna get sacks today, you're gonna have to go right through me. Um, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna set right down the line of scrimmage and let you beat me immediately. He's just a fabulous player. I mean, he's one of the few, you know, every great defense alignment, every great pass rusher, you have to have speed and power. I just don't think you can just beat, you know, good offense alignment with one if you just have one in your arsenal. And Aaron Donald has it all. Where do you think it turned last night for the Bengals? Um, you know, it was. I'll say to me before I answer this, it was the least watched Super Bowl I've ever watched, man, because I was enjoying the moment so much <laughs> about the Hall of Fame in this suite and having a good time. Uh, <laughs> so this might not be my best work in analyzing the game, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, I, you know, I thought I thought when they settled for some field goals in that tight red red zone, I think that's what hurt them, um, and. I, w- I was shocked at the end in the two minutes that they get in the shotgun. You need you need a half a yard. I mean, get up there and take your chances. I mean, uh, that w- that shocked me. I mean, that's not why they lost the game. I mean, they felt like that was their best chance. But the red zone production and then also just, you know, 
I, I don't understand why teams under a yard are getting the shotgun and throwing the ball. I mean, if you can't get half a yard, you probably don't deserve to win. Congratulations. And uh, long time coming, but, you know, I wish your father could have been there for you. I'm sure that you'll uh, acknowledge that in your speech, and we look forward to hearing that. Dan, I appreciate it. And I, I do appreciate all the support of you and the show and all the guys on the show uh, throughout the years. Uh, that is not lost on me, and I appreciate it greatly. Thank you, bud. We appreciate your time. That's uh, Tony Baselli, now calling him a Hall of Famer and uh, first ever player drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars back in 1995. Yeah, Paul. It seems pretty fair when guys' careers are derailed by injury. It's like um, Quentin Nelson, the offensive guard for the Colts. He's cruising to the Hall of Fame right now. I think he's three straight Pro Bowls in his first three straight seasons. That's like Anthony Munoz type stuff. But if somehow uh, Quentin Nelson got hurt at age 29, there's only so, you know, there's only so much you could do about it. Yeah, and that's what happened to Tony. Yeah. Because he got hurt. And normally we'll look at a skilled position player uh, like Terrell Davis, and you go, I, you know, he kind of uh, Gale Sayers. You know, they had that five or six year window, Kirby Puckett with the Minnesota Twins, where injury cut short their career. And then you're left to speculate on what could have been. And I just, once again, I just saw Baselli and I just thought that he was different. And uh, having been able to see Anthony Munoz with the Bengals, who I think is the best offensive lineman ever. Uh, and, you know, here's Munoz, who is Tony Baselli's idol, knocking on the door to say congratulations. That's well produced. It's something that we wouldn't be able to do, but that's uh, that's what. How does his wife keep a secret like that? That's the amazing part is she finds out and then she's got to not tell anybody. Him. And don't you think you'd let it slip or you'd be on the phone with somebody and go, hey, we're trying to get this party together. For- I would be able to keep a secret on that uh- easily. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst people to keep a secret. I would have totally ruined it for Baselli and the entire group. Yeah. Terry in Rochester, best and worst of the weekend. Hi, Terry. What's on your mind today? How are you doing today, Dan? Good, Terry. Good. Uh, I wanted to say my best of the weekend was Whitmore winning for his team. He's probably retiring right up to the sunset Yep. for the Rams. And uh, the Bengals, man, I, I hate I hate that call, man. That call, I know we don't want to keep talking about it, but that call, you would have had a tall tax for for the Rams going fourth and nine, fourth and ten, I would have rather see them win like that than the refs inside the game, because uh, that would have been a tall task for the Rams to win that game with one minute left. Even if they stopped them, they would have had to use all the timeouts. Thanks, Dan. All right, Terry. Yeah, you know the the call in Logan Wilson, I didn't think was a good call. Was there contact? Yes, but at the at the point of impact where the ball is headed towards Cooper Cup, Wilson removes his hands from Cooper Cup, and he made a great play on the ball. Now, would they have scored? Maybe, but you didn't want that game to be decided or influenced by one of those calls. That that was it, and as soon as I saw the flag come out, I go, oh boy, this is going to be a topic of conversation. And I thought Wilson played a wonderful game. I thought that Bengals defense played a wonderful game. No big names over there, but it was... That was a great performance. They shut down the Rams running game. 
And it made it even more remarkable. I mean, Sean McVay had to come up with a a game plan here. Kevin O'Connell, they had to come up with a different game plan. Imagine you start the Super Bowl and you say, this is what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden you can't run the football. And then you don't have Odell Beckham for three quarters. And you have Cooper Cup. But, you know, that's, that's what makes the Rams Super Bowl champs. The guys who you asked to step up, need to step up, did. And for the Bengals, that did not happen when they needed them. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's Ben, host of The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick, David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is The Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of The Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's bring in Ryan Clark here, the uh, ESPN NFL analyst, won a Super Bowl with the uh, Steelers. Um, what did you think of the halftime show there, Ryan? I thought it was amazing. Um, you, like my father, uh, definitely think that Prince singing Purple Rain in the rain is the best one. Uh, you know how it is. We have recency bias. You know, at the time I saw that one, I didn't think it was the best. Purple Rain was the first um, R-rated movie I got to see. Uh, it was the first boobs I ever got to look at on TV when she jumped in the waters of uh, Lake Monotonga, but it really wasn't that late. Um, you know, so that that was definitely nostalgic for me. And it was amazing because he's obviously and honestly probably the, the, the greatest musician, uh, total musician that we've ever had play um, at the Super Bowl. But, you know, I was in there last night, man. I think for me, you know, I'm thinking, you know, 92 chronic, you know, chronic 2001, uh, eight mile. Um, obviously, I'm a huge Kendrick Lamar fan. And, you know, being able to be there and be a part of it, it was the one I enjoyed the most, you yep. know. And, and so and so I think we can all go back and forth about which one was best, man. But I thought it was I thought it was smart to, to use the L.A. folks. Obviously, Mary J. Blige is, you know. Queen of R&B and hip-hop, so I thought it was a real good show. All right, where do you want to start? The Bengals lost because what? Well, the Bengals lost because of what I think everybody always thought they would lose lose for in the end of the, the game was offensive line. Uh, we knew if it got into a game where they had to block Aaron Donald and, you know, Leonard Floyd, also Von Miller, that it could be very difficult. This is a team that the Tennessee Titans sacked nine times. And so to think that you'd be playing against the greatest defensive player of our era uh, at defensive tackle, and that wouldn't affect the game at some point, um, I think it's crazy to believe. But on the other side of it, if Aaron Donald legally pushes your quarterback inbounds to out of bounds, don't go start a fight with a man you can't beat up, right? Don't, don't energize the leader of that defense. And if you look throughout the night, I feel like the Cincinnati Bengals made stupid play after stupid play that hurt their team from a penalty standpoint. And on the other side of that, they look like the less experienced football team toward the end of the game. They look like the team that had never been there before, which is something that's tough because it doesn't mean just because you're young, you're going to get back there another time. 
What happened with Cooper Cup on the final drive? Um, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, who's absolutely been phenomenal in the second half of games, finally made his first mistake. Um, if I don't have Tyler Higby on the field, if I don't have Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, I'm probably playing Cooper Cup the way people play Calvin Johnson in the red zone and vicing him like it's punt team. Cooper Cup should have been doubled on every snap of that drive. You knew he would be the go-to guy. Instead, they decided to play a ton of cover three, which allowed Cooper Cup to manipulate the zone coverages and make plays. And then obviously you have the Logan Wilson holding. Uh, you have the DPI on Eli Apple. And for the life of me, I do not know why you have Eli Apple one-on-one -on -one with the best receiver in football on the goal line. I'm taking that even if Dan Patrick is throwing. Uh, I would have completed that. I mean, it's almost like <laughs> it, it, it's like when the Patriots had single coverage on uh, Plexigo Burris. Yes. Ellis Hobbs. Absolutely. And you're going, you know, Eli's looking. He goes, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and, it kind of break, it brings to mind the Kyler, Murray, the Kyler Murray video where he sees DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one, -on -one, and as he's throwing it, he's smiling because <laughs> you knew what type of matchup you had. I'm sure that's the same way that Matthew Stafford felt. More likely to get back to the Super Bowl next year, Rams or Bengals? You know, the Rams have a lot of cap issues, uh, so it depends on who, they, who they're able to keep. Um, but I think, you, I think you'd say the, the, the Cincinnati Bengals in the sense of they understand what they have to fix. Protection, add depth at the cornerback position, make sure Jesse Bates is still on the team. You know, those are, those are the things that they have to do to make sure this team is good again. I think the only thing that sways you from that is a guy named Patrick Mahomes, a guy named Josh Allen, a guy named Justin Herbert, a guy named Lamar Jackson. When you look at the quarterbacks that are in the AFC, you could probably say, the Bengals may end up being the better team in 2022, but the Los Angeles Rams will have the easier road. Um, but I think the Cincinnati Bengals have a great young nucleus, um, a team that's going to be explosive for years to come with those skills, skill players, and an obvious fix to some of their ills. Did Joe Burrow do anything wrong last night? You know, I don't think he did anything wrong. I do think... This is the first time we can say in a moment he needed to elevate and elevate a team above its mean or above its, its opponent. This is the first time we haven't seen him do it in a big moment. You know, um, whether it's been Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Tennessee, Kansas City, Las Vegas, we're so used to seeing him in tight games where teams might be better when that moment comes, stepping up in that moment. And last night, he didn't get the opportunity uh, to do that. And now, you can also say that's because his guards, his two guards and his center didn't protect him. And he was getting pressure into his face the whole game. But I don't feel like we give every quarterback that out. He played well, but I just don't think when he had an opportunity to have that Joe Burrow true legacy moment that he made the plays he needed to. We're talking to Ryan Clark, the ESPN NFL analyst and, uh, of course, former defensive back. Won a Super Bowl with the Steelers back, I believe, in 2009. Matthew Stafford, now a Hall of Famer. Is it that simple? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's that simple, but I think now the, the conversation is a lot closer. You know, um, I mean, I think it all, that's my, my wife's alarm. I think it uh, all <laughs> depends. Um, is she still sleeping? 
Nah, she's awake. I'm not really sure why it's going off right now. Uh, you know, I think it all depends on on how you saw Matthew Stafford's tenure in um, in Detroit. You know, I think obviously we all saw him as an elite talent. Um, you have all the fourth quarter comebacks because they were down so much. Um, and you have the Pro Bowls, you have the numbers. And so if one is enough for him to get there, then maybe. Uh, and maybe I'll say this. I don't think this makes him a first ballot Hall of Famer. No. You know, and so that maybe that's what I'll say because so many times when I think of Hall of Famers, you, you almost get into like no-brainer land, right? Like if you walked into a room of football players or former football players or people who love the game of football and you say Barry Sanders, everybody in that room goes, yep. You know, you say Peyton Manning, yep. Tom Brady, yep. You know, Jonathan Ogden, yep. And I don't know if Matthew Stafford is in that place of Hall of Fame for me. So sometimes it's hard to say that they're guaranteed the Hall of Fame when you don't know if they're a first ballot Hall of Famer or not. I call those guys the no pause. Because if I say, if you say, hey, is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer? And I pause, then maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Like Phillip Rivers. I might think a minute. It, yeah, I agree. But there are certain guys where you go, no pause. Not, mm-hmm. you know. Devin Hester didn't get in. Is Devin Hester going to get into the Hall of Fame? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, I, don't think, I don't think Devin Hester's problem is production or Hall of Fame success. I think Devin Hester's problem is position. Right? He, he, played, he, he didn't necessarily star at a offensive or defensive position. He was a specialist. I think it's difficult for us to see specialists as that important. And you're not going to put Devin Hester over some of these other positional players who have been waiting. You know, um, but nobody's going to approach these numbers ever again, Ryan, with, you know, we've diminished the kickoff and like you don't even get those opportunities. These these numbers are going to stand a lifetime. Yeah, he's going to be he's probably going to be the last specialist to ever get in along with being the first. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the game, the, the game has changed, you know, so much. And if you were playing during Devin's during Devin Hester's time, you understood the magnitude of his impact, right? You understood that when you were playing the Chicago Bears at that time, you game planned more for Devin Hester than you did Rex Grossman, right? <laughs> you, you 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 remember the Indianapolis kickoff that turned into six right away. Like all of those moments are so prevalent. Uh, in my mind, and I don't know if you're, you know, if you're presenting him uh, to the rest of the Hall of Fame voters, you have to make sure people understood the, and understand the magnitude of his impact. Did you meet anybody during Super Bowl week that uh, blew you away? Yeah, and this is going to sound uh, very, I would guess, was it 1990s of me? I met Urkel. <laughs> uh, I met Jaleel White. Um, I'm out to dinner. Um, I have a podcast called The Pivot now. Um, obviously, NFL Live. And so I'm out to dinner with all of my friends. Guy walks up to me with a mask, like taps my chest, shakes my hand, hugs me. Like, man, I love your show. I love everything you do on TV. I'm always watching. But he has the mask on. And so, you know, I'm just kind of like, oh, thank you so much. You know, the whole, the whole thing you do, Dad. Thank you so much. It's such a blessing. You know, we got, we got our lines. You know, and he takes his mask off, and I'm like, it's Mickey Ficky Urkel. You know, and, and so, and so like, when it happens, and, like, what's crazy You didn't call him it, Urkel, did you? In my head, not out loud. Okay, okay. 
Not, not out loud. I know his name is Jalil. I called him Jalil. You know, but then, you know, Dan Orlowski stands up and Marcus Spears and everybody at the table is up because, like, that's our childhood. You know, so for somebody like uh, Jalil White to appreciate my work after I sat on every Friday on TGIF and, and watched him, you know, I thought it was um, just a really, a really cool moment and kind of like a full circle young Ryan moment. By the way, Orlovsky is so obnoxious with this Matthew Stafford love. You know, I haven't turned the TV on. Yeah, you got, I'll, I'll got his say- shirt on. You got a T-shirt that says Matthew freaking Stafford. He thinks he won the Super Bowl, not Stafford. Well, I will tell you this, Dan. What I've learned about the other Dan is you want a friend like him, right? Like if you want, if you need somebody to believe in you, DP, and never waver on their belief in you, get you a friend like. <laughs> Dan Orlowski. I already know. If anybody ever walks up to Dan and is like, Ryan Clark is a terrible analyst, Dan will die before he allows that person to walk off and believe anything differently of me. You know, it's crazy. I'll give you – so, you know, Dan was at the game last night in Matthew's box, right, in his suite. With the family. And he, yes, and he planned a red eye to make sure he could be at work this morning just in case he won. Like, this was – this was plotted out, DP. This wasn't. This isn't an accident that he has the T-shirt ready and all those things. He was not missing Monday morning if Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl, and uh, we were texted throughout the game. We have a group text, and everybody's like, "Could you imagine if Matthew Stafford loses this Super Bowl and the Indianapolis Colts are talking about getting rid of Carson Wentz? It'll be the worst Monday in Dan Olowski's house ever." <laughs> Uh, thanks for uh, getting up with us. I know you had a long yeah. night. And uh, thank you again uh, throughout the season joining us. We always appreciate uh, your insights. Yes, sir. You have a great one. All right. That's Ryan Clark on the Mothership, ESPN NFL analyst. On a Super Bowl back with the Steelers in 09. Let's go around the room, best and worst of the weekend. I'm going to start with you, Todd. Best and worst of the weekend. My best of the weekend, Matthew Stafford leading the Rams on what would be a game-winning drive late in the fourth quarter. Nice to see him after all those years in Detroit getting his ring. Worst, the officials missing offensive pass interference on T. Higgins. 75-yard TD reception after pulling on Jalen Ramsey's face mask, causing him to lose his footing. Later explained by the refs that they didn't see a grab, twist, and turn on the play, and that's why they didn't call anything. All right. Seton O'Connor, best and worst of the weekend. My best of the weekend was the halftime show. I, I absolutely loved it. I don't know if it'll be considered the best, but it was my favorite of all time by far. All right. Absolutely phenomenal. All right. uh, my worst of the weekend, Odell Beckham Jr. getting hurt. I'm happy that he was able to catch that touchdown. Uh, and I think he was probably on the way to an MVP performance himself. Uh, but unfortunately, man, that knee injury, that's just terrible. And I, I missed my opportunity to ask Ryan Clark about that turf. But I've watched the play numerous times, and it's just an awkward landing and turn with Odell. I mean, those things happen. If you want to look at a horrible football field where they held a Super Bowl, go back to the Bengals and the Niners when Joe Montana throws the touchdown pass to uh, uh, John Taylor. Like, that was, that was, there was chunks of turf that came up. I think Tim Crumry, the great defensive lineman for the Bengals, suffered a horrible knee injury because of that turf there. But last night... I don't know if anybody else had problems with that turf. Marvin, you got a best and worst of the weekend? Hey, Dan, as a matter of fact, I do. Oh. Uh, best, Evan <laughs> McPherson 
staying out for the halftime show and not going in the locker room. That was phenomenal. I guess he didn't have to be there for the secondary meeting. I didn't yeah. think, yeah. No, I don't think so. No. And worse was the inactive player from the Bengals getting the uh, penalty when they had an interception. Vernon Hargraves? Yeah, I don't I don't know if he made the uh, team flight back. What? What is possessing you to run out there to celebrate? They just got an interception, and he's out there in a, a hoodie. And it cost them. They got a 15-yard penalty. Like, can't you wait till they come to the sidelines? Yeah, Paul. The one thing about Evan McPherson, the kicker, he said he went out there for the entire halftime, not like part of it. I heard an interview with Michael Irvin yesterday. He said that one of the Cowboys Super Bowls, he said he was going to the bathroom. He goes, Coach, I, gotta be, I really got to go. He ran down the hallway and watched Michael Jackson for five minutes because he wanted to see Michael Jackson at halftime. But the playmaker said if there was social media, people would have saw me and I would have got crushed. Best and worst of the weekend? My worst was also Vernon Hargraves. I saw a guy in a hoodie. I thought it was a fan from the stands for a second, and I thought they were going to you know, throttle him. Yeah. Um, neither best nor worst, just most awkward. Joe Burrow's suit when he walked into the Super Bowl game, he had a, I would say, a black and white zebra skin or a zebra look suit with hat. If you win, that's the coolest outfit of all time. When you lose, you have to walk out in your zebra outfit, which looks less awkward. That said, you cannot bring a losing outfit. You cannot have a, a muted, boring suit in case you lose. Well, you you can't wear the hat after the game. <laughs> like you can wear the suit and the hat going in, but I even I text the Danettes. I said, boy, that's going to be a tough suit to wear if you lose the uh, Super Bowl. And, you know, you show up in the press. Game. It's like Cam Newton would show up and you go, you just lost and you got an ostrich on your head. You got, you got a scarf on your head. It reminds me of uh, Raising Arizona, where Nicolas Cage is robbing a store, <laughs> and the guy at the store says, you got a pantyhose on your head. And he, he was trying to disguise himself, and he had pantyhose on his head, or uh, covering his face. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern, or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Update the uh, poll results there, Seton, before we get to Carson Palmer. Well, we're sticking with uh, who had the better night so far. We could change it up if you want, but this is just a, uh, right now, uh, 98% of our audience hates marriage. They've got Taylor Rapp got engaged. He did not have the better night. It's pretty much split. Van Jefferson having his second child right up at top. Eric Weddle uh, with his torn peck and coming out of nowhere with a big play. 44%. Yeah, I don't know. Do you get it? Okay. So if I'm Taylor Rapp's in uh, his uh, fiance, do you ask, would we have gotten engaged if we lost the Super Bowl? Like, do you even go down that rabbit hole? Yeah, Paulie. What if he did? What if the Rams lost and Rap goes up to her and says, finds a little corner so it's not so public? And, and Ash, and she says, well, I was hoping to be a two, a two ring night. It's either oh. two rings or oh. no ring. Okay. All right. Carson Palmer, former NFL quarterback, of course, Heisman Trophy winner, his weekly appearance brought to you by Level Select CBD. How'd the Bengals lose this game? Well, it was just a magnificent game for, for all of us fans, for the Cincinnati fans. Um, to come in as an underdog and, and somebody that, you know, people didn't really give a shot or give a chance to, they, they hung in there. They had the lead. 
Uh, th this team is here to stay. You know, they, they have a great offseason ahead of them with $60 million to spend in free agency. Uh, some players they're probably going to retain, and they can make a big splash in this free agency. They've got to shore up that offensive line. There's a bunch of vets. There's a bunch of guys. Uh, Taron Armstead, uh, the New Orleans Saints is a great tackle. Brandon Scherf is a great guard of, of the Washington Commanders. There's a bunch of guys out there to go and get, and this is an opportunity to to really build that you know, they have a four or five year window here. They got Joe, Joe Burrows on a rookie deal. He's probably going to re-sign uh, a massive contract in 2024. So they can, they can attack free agency right now and shore up that offensive line, give him some help, give him some support and still be, be prepared for his contract that's coming up in a couple years. Okay. How much confidence do you have in the Bengals that they will do right by Joe Burrow? Uh, not, not a lot. I mean, I just look at history and, and history says, you know, they're, they're happy with where they're at and they're going to sit pat. But again, the way things are structured right now with the salary cap and, and free agency, they can go and be super aggressive. They can, I mean, Vaughn Miller's a free agent. They could use another pass rusher, a, a, a third down specialist. Um, you know, Chandler Jones is out there, another veteran, great defensive end. They can go out and, and attack free agency because what they can do with Joe's contract is they can sign him in 2024 to a long-term deal and backload a ton of the money so that they still have room in 2024 for the vets they can sign right now in 2022. Well, I think it's tougher for the Bengals to try to come back than the Rams because if I look at the two favorites, overall favorites, it'll be the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. So two AFC teams. Whereas the NFC, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, Tom Brady's out of there, and maybe that bodes well. Russell Wilson could be out of the NFC as well. That bodes well for the Rams coming back. Even though you got Odell Beckham with his injury and a free agent, Von Miller free agent, you lose your offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, who takes the Vikings job. But you still have Stafford at a bargain. He's, I think, $23 million. Uh, Cooper Cup is, you know, whatever, $16 million. So it seems like the Rams, they'll have to replace Whitworth. I think uh, he's going to announce his retirement. But... You still have Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you still have some impact players. But then you also have the Aaron Donald situation. Like, Rodney Harrison threw that out, and I went, wait a minute. This is a guy who's making $9 million a year. It felt like it was a little bit more of a, I think I need to be up around 18 to $20 million here, guys. Uh, or I just might retire. What do, you, what do you make of what Donald said, you know, to Rodney? Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely positioning himself for a for a pay increase. He's the fifth or sixth highest paid defensive player in the league. There's no doubt he should be, if not the the, the highest paid defensive player in all the league, top two, top three. So we'll we'll probably see that get fixed this offseason. But back to the AFC, I mean the NFC is right. We, you're right with all those vets out of the league. The NFC's right. But again, in the AFC, the Bengals beat the Chiefs twice. Yeah. So I know the Chiefs are a contender. I don't necessarily like how the Bengals match up with the bills on paper. Um, but I would have said the same thing about how the, the Bengals match up with the chiefs on paper and they beat them at home and then they beat them at their home. So they, they've won uh, one on both sides. And, and I think the Bengals are going to be here to stay. How painful was it for you to watch the ending last night? You know, I, I'm so happy for Stafford. It wasn't that painful. I, okay. I really wanted, I really wanted to see a victory played in, in downtown Cincinnati. It would have been amazing. I think we will. I mean, Joe Burrow is that good. You know, Jamar Chase is that good. If they can keep these guys together, figure out a way to re-sign T. Higgins, keep you know Joe Mixon happy. They've got the big three, with with really a fourth in T. Higgins. So 
Um, the, the infrastructure is there. They've got to address the offensive line. The defensive line, I mean, how stingy was that defensive line of the Bengals last night? It's like every time they handed the ball off to the Rams running back, he ran into a brick wall. So, I mean, the pieces are there. They've got the right formula. They've got the right guys. Again, they've got a rookie contract at, at quarterback that they that's playing with house money right there. When you're when you're paying your your starting quarterback, who's probably the best player on the field, a rookie minimum deal that that is playing with house money. So they, they've got the, the right infrastructure, the right pieces around it. They just got to attack this offseason. Put us in Stafford's shoes of, you know, your receiver is going to be double teamed that final drive with Cooper Cup. But can you still throw somebody open when they're going to be double covered? Obviously you can. I mean, Cooper Cups, you know, you think back to the greatest receivers in, in history and you think of Larry Fitzgerald and Megatron and, and the size and the bulk or the speed of some of these guys. And it's like, you don't quite trust that Cooper Cup is that good. But when you see Sean McVay hand him the ball as a running back on the play of the game on fourth and one and just know that he's got two guys he's got to beat and, and trust that he's going to beat them. The guy is that good. Hmm. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. It doesn't blow you away like some of the stuff Jamar Chase does, some of the catches that Odell Beckham Jr. has made over his career. It's not that flash. He's just so consistent and so dominant that when the game's on the line, Stafford's been around long enough. He's been in those drives many a times. He knows that when you're down, whether it's the Super Bowl or a regular season game, you've got to get the ball in your best. You got to get it to your best player without a doubt, no matter what, sometimes he may be triple covered. He can still find a way to get open. He was getting open against double coverage. And, and that's why he's so special. Okay. You get down on the goal line and you see Eli Apple single covering Cooper cup. I mean, come on. I mean, that's how, how do you get to the point where you have single coverage on Cooper cup at the goal line? Well, especially the way that the defensive front for the Bengals was stopping the run with four-man pressures. I mean, their four defensive linemen owned the line of scrimmage. They owned the Rams' offensive line. So they didn't need to load the box and bring nine guys into the box to stop the run. They were doing it with four guys all game. But, again, if since he can go after, you know, Patrick Peterson's a free agent, Xavier Rhodes is a free agent, there's some guys, hopefully they get Trey Waynes back in the starting lineup and he can be the player that the Bengals anticipated him being when they gave him that contract. There's just a couple pieces away where you get Patrick Peterson out there on Cooper Cup. That's a pretty good matchup. Um, so there's a couple pieces away, and they just didn't need to leave Eli Apple one-on-one with the Triple Crown winner. That turf at the stadium with what happened to Odell Beckham Jr., is that turf-related or OBJ-related? It sure didn't look turf-related. I mean, it's hard to say that right now the day after the game. That's just one of those ACLs. I hope it's not torn. I hope it's just... Um, maybe a bone-on-bone collision that he felt in there. Uh, but it, it did not look like it was the turf. That turf's only a handful of years old. I'm sure it's, it's holding up pretty good. That looked like, unfortunately, I've been there. That looked like a knee that was reconstructed surgically a couple years ago and then maybe gave out. It happened to me. It happens pretty easily. And when it does happen, it's very rarely a collision or a traumatic injury where somebody is crashing into you. A lot of times when you see that, it's just a guy planting or running or jumping. And that looked to be what it was with OBJ yesterday. Well, he took, first of all, the pass was behind him a little bit. And he took his eye off the ball because it was almost as if he had caught it. Now he was looking to see, I mean, he was looking to get up upfield quicker than he should have. And it just felt like it was just an awkward moment there. Those are the ones. Uh, unfortunately, I hate to say it. I'm knocking on wood. Unfortunately, those are the ones that, that typically are an ACL expiring. 
snapping, breaking, mm. tearing, whatever it was. Um, you hope, I mean, he's a free agent as well, I believe. So, yeah. um, you hope it's not completely torn and he has to start over again and go through the whole rehab process. Hopefully it's a little bit of a tear and they can fix it or just clean it up and, and he'll be ready once, once training camp opens in August. And it felt like he was on his way to, if they were winning, he was going to be in the MVP conversation last night. He, he just felt like he got that touchdown, had a couple of big plays there and then all of a sudden had that injury. We've talked about Aaron Donald before and just how great he is. But, you know, going up the middle against a quarterback, and a lot of quarterbacks have said on this show, you know, they worry about the guy who's coming right at him, not necessarily the guy on the edge. What is it about Aaron Donald? You, you sort of know what you're getting. You just can't stop it. So what role do you play in trying to help your team uh, as a quarterback? Well, you got to run the ball, and, and they tried to run the ball, and they did a good job. I mean, Joe Mixon had a phenomenal game. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there is no recipe for Aaron Donald. I, I've seen great ones go up against him and, and double-team him, and he is that much quicker, that much more powerful. And what you don't realize about Aaron is how short he is. And all that does is pe- people want to say, I want the 6'5", 320-pound guy. But I don't. I want the 5'11", the guy that can get underneath your pads most offensive linemen are a little bit stiffer than defensive linemen and don't have that ability to get low and sink their hips. Well, Aaron doesn't have to sink his hips. He comes off the ball with so much power and leverage that I don't care if you got pro bowlers up front. It really doesn't matter if you're double team, if you're slide protecting and trying to wash him down, he finds a way and they do such a good job by putting him every once in a while on the same side of the field with, with Vaughn Miller putting him outside and looping him and running all kinds of games where he's not just bull rushing upfield. He's running around the deep, the offensive tackle and getting an edge. He's just that good. He's that dominant. And again, I don't think we see him retiring. I think he's posturing for a new contract, which looks well-deserved. We had Tony Baselli on, he's going to the hall of fame. And he said, you know, I hated playing against those shorter guys. They had leverage on me and, you know, and Baselli's six, seven. And he said, you know, that the, the guy who's, Six feet, five eleven. Those are the guys. I brought up John Randall, like these guys that are just they. Here they come. They're not tall, but they they just have that leverage. Yeah, I mean Warren Sapp was the same. Warren Sapp wasn't six five, three forty. He played with great leverage. He played with great power. Geno Atkins, a great Bengal defensive tackle that didn't get the credit he deserved. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. A lot. He was really built very similar to Aaron Donald. Maybe didn't have quite the same power. But the same quickness, he was six foot, maybe standing on a book. I mean, maybe he was six one, but probably below six foot. But that leverage, uh, it doesn't matter how long your tackle, your, your arms are at tackle or guard or center. If you can get underneath an offensive lineman's shoulder pads, and Aaron does it with one arm. So, I mean, you see him grabbing guys with one arm, putting it <laughs> in, in somebody's chest and just debilling them out of the way. So there, there's just a, a rare combination of speed and power that Aaron has that Maybe we haven't seen since John Randall. Did you meet anybody interesting in Los Angeles? Um, I didn't meet anybody out of the ordinary, but I was in and out as quick as possible. It was an honor to finally come and sit in your studio, your, your makeshift studio that was great there. Um, but that traffic and, and just the chaos <laughs> of the Super Bowl, I could not. I was literally driving home thinking, I can't believe I lived here for four years in college and I'm so glad I'm out right now. Cause I just, I, I was going 12 miles at one point and it took me an hour and 45 minutes to move 12 miles in the car. 
I went from uh, Marina Del Rey to downtown. It took me 90 minutes, and it's 12, 12 and a half miles. Like I, I, I could have gone to law school, I think. If, if I commuted in Los Angeles, I probably could get a law degree in a, you know, maybe a year's time of just sitting in traffic. Yeah, what's all this talk about work from home? Nobody's working from home. Everybody's on the on, on the damn highways and freeways. And, you know, I expect it to, you know, what was crazy, though, is I did do a trip in the middle of uh, in the middle of uh, the quarantine, the 14 day lockdown. And I drove from San Diego to Santa Barbara and I was going 80 miles an hour up the 405 through Century City, past Griffiths Observatory around, you know, you know, on highways and on parts of freeways that I'd never I'd never gone faster than 10 miles an hour and there was nobody on the roads. It was a really eerie ghost town feel. We, uh, we had coach O on. Did he, did he recruit you? He didn't recruit me, but he was, he was the defensive line coach at USC when I was there and I was scared to death of the guy. (laughs) All he talked about was sacking me. All he talked about was, I, you know, it'd be March and we're, you know, in the weight room working out. And all of a sudden I'd hear this noise behind me and he'd come up, boy, I'm going to come and get you, boy. And I turn around and Coach O is in a team top, dripping sweat, just got off the bench press talking about sacking me. So that that guy scared the hell out of me. He said that he would bring recruits down to Manhattan Beach, and then he would say, see that house? That's Kobe's. See that house? That's Denzel. He goes, I didn't know if it was their houses, but I told that to the recruits. No chance. No chance. The stories I want from from Eddie O – was what was going on at LSU? How did he get, how, how are some of those recruiting situations going? How did he get some of the talent down there? Cause no, nobody bats an eye what's going on in, in Baton Rouge. Everybody in Baton Rouge is an LSU fan. You don't have to be as worried about all the little rules and tidbits of, of the recruiting laws. So I want to know some of those LSU stories. Well, we brought up Texas A&M. I go, you know, Jimbo Fisher's all upset because his, you know, guys aren't getting the credit for recruiting all these kids. And he started laughing because, you know, I said, that's oil money there, you know? I mean, come on. And now it's, it's above board. You're allowed yeah. to, I can give you whatever I want. You, like on the open market, what do you think you'd be worth coming out of high school? I don't even know what it is right now. I, I, I at least a million. Yeah, who at, knows? At least a million. But he's the hands down the best recruiting coordinator, the best recruiter <laughs> I've been around. He's relentless. He's always watching film. He would pull up things on his laptop of some grainy video he had of some kid in South Florida. And I'm like, coach, you can't even see this kid. And he's like, I know, but he, you know, he, he had all the stats, all the numbers. He knew the mom and dad are like, he was relentless in his pursuit in recruiting. It was, it was truly amazing. But he told us a story. He was trying to recruit Adrian Peterson to USC. And Adrian's dad was in prison, is in prison in Oklahoma. He tried to get him transferred to an, a Los Angeles prison so he could watch his son play football. That was, you know, that's why Adrian stayed at Oklahoma. And, and you know, Coach O goes, I, I was competing. Got to compete. That's all I was trying to do. Compete. I can't imagine you go back to school and you go, um, hey, I, I got Adrian Peterson, but his dad's got to be transferred to L.A. County Jail. <laughs> Oh, the strings that had to be pulled. I'll tell you what happened with that probably, though, is Adrian Peterson's dad was like, you want me, you're going to transfer me to L.A. County? No, thank you. I'll stay here. Things are a little more cushy maybe in Oklahoma than L.A. County prison. <laughs> uh, it was great seeing you, you and your son, and uh, thanks again, buddy. 
Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. 